Good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a vision for you, big book study. My name is Melanie C., and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Tuesday, July 21st, 2015. Today we are reading from the big book, and we are on page 101, starting with paragraph 2 today. And today's readers are the 12 Steps, Mary B., the 12 Traditions, Anita L. And reading the text today is Marcella M., Deanna B., and Rachel W. The reference number for yesterday, Monday, July 20th, 2015, is 7849. 7849. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for member. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and compulsive food behaviors and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose. OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Mary B. to read the 12 traditions. Good morning, Melanie. Thank you. Thank you for your service. This is Mary B., gratefully recovered in Central California. The 12 steps. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you for the opportunity to be of service. Thank you, Mary B. I will now ask Anita L. to read the 12 traditions. 
Good morning, everyone. This is Anita L. from Philadelphia. The 12 traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there <clears throat> there's but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, every group should each group should be autonomous except in matters affect, affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. Hence, the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. 11. Our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. 12. Anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you, and I pass. Thank you, Anita L. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone, except the speakers, should be muted. And today we resume our study of the big book on page 101, starting with paragraph 2. And now I'll ask Marcella M. to begin our study today. Good morning, Marcella. Good morning, Melanie. <clears throat> My name is Marcella. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Um, in our beliefs, any scheme of combating alcoholism which proposes to shield the sick man from temptation is doomed to failure. If the alcoholic tries to shield himself, he may succeed for a time, 
but he usually winds up with a bigger explosion than ever. We have tried these methods. These attempts to do the impossible have always failed. So this paragraph, actually page 101, it just is the 101 of how to live life in reality. 101, how to live life where there's restaurants and coffee shops and bakeries and, and a fridge, maybe my own home, who has um, foods that to me are poisonous. Um, and um, I remember reading um, uh, an article about a story about Elizabeth Taylor and and she would pay a lot of money to lock herself in a room. She would not sign no kind of releases, legal releases, so that nobody would, so that she wouldn't accuse anybody of kidnapping or nothing. And, and she would lock herself in a room um, for weeks at a time so that she would lose the weight, so that she wouldn't eat because apparently she had the same symptoms that I have when it comes to food. And I have done that. I have... Um, taking, not lock myself in any place, but I have taken out everything, everything edible in my house, everything. I, I had, the, the fridge was empty, the cupboards were empty, and there was absolutely not nothing edible in the house, and I ended up waking up at 3 o'clock in the morning, and I ate the toothpaste. So I know exactly that this, um, this paragraph is telling us the truth. There's a difference between white-knuckling a diet and just forcing myself through the diet um, with with the strength of my willpower, that's that's not sustainable. That is that's not sustainable. It might work for one day or or two weeks or like sixteen weeks and in some diet clubs, and then the bigger explosion than ever is like the returning to food is just unbearable. The suffering is unbearable. And, and th- th- there's a difference, the difference between the serene, calm flow of the higher power through my body and my stomach. That's one thing. That's sustainable. That's comfortable. That's equivalent as wearing very comfortable shoes. I, I don't necessarily feel it every second, but it's there. It's constant. It's there. I used to think that I was a very religious person and, and that I had an awesome relationship with my God because I was raised in a religious household, but that never prevented me from um, overeating and, 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 and disgracing my life and my body with food. Um, now, I did believe in God, but I didn't believe in people. What a vision for you has given me is that I absolutely believe you guys. I believe what you're telling me. I believe in your voices. I believe in your stories. I believe in your goodwill. I believe in your energy, and I believe in your recovery. I'm literally counting the days to see you in October. Um, We're reading page 101, and I have to wait 101 days to see you in Virginia. I'm counting the days. I don't see that. I don't experience the difference between fellowship and God. It's like a continuum, like a continuum. I I can't uh, always attend this meeting live because I have to work, but um, I feel very strangely lonely if I don't listen to the recording. And and I many times um, I feel very close to you, even though I've never directly talked to you. <laughs> I feel like these bonds, this, this ineffable bond that announces me the presence of the higher power that is running through my body. Who thinks of eating while I'm with you? I just it's just like it's taken away. The obsession is lifted, and I have endless energy and endless optimism. 
and and I don't miss my food. I don't I don't miss it. It's just a very comfortable, doable way of life, and without a fuss. Thank you, Marcella M. Who would like to comment on this paragraph? This is Vega. Can I say? Mary, I hear. I hear um, Charles H, Nessa R, Bella, and did I hear Mary? Yes, Larry. Mary B. Mary B. Okay, and then I hear Larry. Let's go with that line up for right now. <laughs> okay, let me let me stop with that. Then I have this is what I have so far: Charles H, Nessa R, Bella G, Mary B, Larry K, Kim G, and Amy M. Is that what you said? And let's yes. stop with that. Okay, great. Thanks. I got him. Thanks so much. Hi, Charles. Good morning to you. Good morning, Melanie. Dean. I'll see you in 101 days, uh, Willie. My name is Charles H. I'm a public visionary um, just for today. And, you know, doing things I don't like to do, like talking on a bus on the way to work, but you know what? My recovery and my life is on the line. So, you know, I like where it says you can't shield the compulsive overeater, right? And, but, I just want to say this, and I ain't taking this back. And you know how I am. I'm passionate. And I'll say when I get to the town in Virginia, live, you can see me live, and I'll see you guys live. If I hang out in a barber shop long enough, I'm going to get a haircut. And I'm not scared. I'm not going to McDonald's and Burger King preaching. Because the only reason I'm going in them places is to pick up. That's the only reason I'm going in them places. I know I can't hide. I don't, I don't have fear of any type of food. My family, I don't evangelize to them. I don't reform to them. I don't wear an OA shirt. I don't wear a big, they know my big book is all over the house, but I don't go preaching to them because this is for me. This is what I need to do, right? So um, I don't tell nobody what they need to do. I don't run from, you know, food. It's all over. When I go make my smoothies and I open up the freezer, I see my friend Mr. Ice Cream. I see my friend Mr. Fudge Pop. I see uh, frozen pancakes and all that stuff, and I'm immune to it. You know, the 12 steps of alcohol synonymous that's laid out in this big book is my mental gastric bypass one day at a time. And I don't even need my three minutes. I'm going to donate one. With that, I'll pass. Thank you, Charles H. Nessa R., you're next. Hi, good morning. Uh, my name is Nessa R. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater in Toronto, Canada. Um, uh, one of the steps and promises in page 84 says, um, if tempted, we recoil from it as from a hot flame. So we are not promised that we will never be tempted, but we are promised that we will have a mental defense against temptation. And what is that mental defense? That mental defense is the um, relationship that I have built with my higher power as a result of working the, te- the, the, the steps. And, you know, as long as I continue working those steps, I will continue having that close connection with God that gives me the mental defense against temptation. You know, so I don't have to force my family to eat like I do. Um, they don't have to refrain from the foods that I do. They don't have to... Um, weigh and measure their food, they don't have to stop eating at restaurants, and me going with them just because this is the way I eat, because I know and I'm not afraid that it faced this temptation that um, I'm going to succumb because I'm well grounded in my higher power as a result of the, uh, as a result of the steps. Um, 
it's, it's interesting in recovery, I'm doing something I never, ever, ever did when I was in active addiction, and that is bake. You know, mostly because I'm not a very good baker to begin with, but, but I am baking now. You know, I'm making the basics, and I'm baking them um, for my family with love, and my children sometimes will come and ask, you know, you know, Ma, you haven't made those, you know, whatever uh, in a while. Can you make them now? And I will gladly make it. And I, I'm not afraid. You know, uh, right now I'm not, tempt, I'm not tempted by them. Um, doesn't call to me because it's not mine. I've, I've achieved that position. Well, I haven't achieved. God has blessed me with that position of neutrality. But I know that I don't have to avoid temptation because I know that as much as I am powerless over fire and therefore I will not put my hand in an open flame because I know I cannot help but getting burned, um, the same thing with is with food, I know that I will get burned if I put my hand in a batch of cookies, so I just don't put it in. And I'm grateful to have that, that mental defense, which is the close connection with, with God, and with that I pass. Thank you, Nessa R. Bella G., you're next. Thank you. Good morning, everybody. My name is Bella G., and I am a thankful recovered compulsive overeater. Thank you, Melanie, for doing this service, and thank you very much, everybody on the line. Wow, I love this paragraph. This attempt to do the impossible have always failed. Yes, it did. Before I came to the program, I tried so many diets, and I did lose. Yes, I did lose. But always, always, I gained back, and I gained double and triple. And yes, it always failed because I was connected to my ego. I wanted the power. I wanted the power, and I gave to people the power. And I believed in the power of people, and I believed in my ego. And yes, I was connected to myself without even accepting and being aware that I am human and I am not perfect. I was running all the time to be perfect and to prove that I am perfect. Today, thank you, God. Thank you, God. I am not there anymore. Today, I am in a program, not in a diet program. Today, I am in a program to live, to live in peaceful and, and to live without fear. Today, I am connected to the power of God, and this is the power of accepting and loving. Today, I don't have people that they are my higher power, and today, I know I can learn from every, everybody all the time, and today, I am not dealing with diet. The, the, the food is a symptom. Today, I am connected to God, to the power of God, and today I know that I have the power to choose to do the right choice one day at a time, and it's okay to do mistakes. This is the way that I am connected to God. I am not perfect. I will never be perfect. Thank you for letting me share, and I pass. Thank you, Bella G. Mary B., you're next. Mary B, press star one, you're next.
perhaps then we'll move on to Larry Kay and catch up with Mary B in a moment. Larry Kay, are you there? I'm here. Hi. I'm Melanie, how are Hi. you? I'm fine, thank you. Oh, Mary, are you there? Yeah, I couldn't Go get unmuted. Sorry. Thank you very much, and thank you, Melanie, and everyone who has shared this morning. I am a food addict, and the third word in that declaration is enough to realize how futile this paragraph would be. I am addicted to sugar and flour, but I can binge on anything that doesn't crawl as fly. And at certain times, I don't know about that either. I can't avoid food. My husband and I are movie uh, buffs, and we love going to the movies. And when we go to the movies, my husband has that item that um, that he enjoys and that I used to enjoy at one time. I couldn't stop eating it. And somebody asked me, how can you go to the movies with your husband when he, he eats that? And I, my answer was, you know, and my husband used to early on, uh, we've been married 16 years in the first year or so, he would ask me all the time, will this bother you? Will this bother you? He doesn't ask anymore so much. Once in a while, he does. But, um, if I said yes, he would not have it. And I'd be sitting in the theater and some strange person would come and sit on the other side of me with a great big bag of it. And there's absolutely no point in asking him not to have it. And you know what I found amazing? My higher power must be a movie buff also because that higher power is in that theater. And I've been on seven cruises. And by golly, that higher power was on six of them. I didn't find him on one of them because I didn't look. But that higher power, is he loves cruises. And that is my connection. I am so grateful today that my food plan allows me to live my life free of the craving and the obsession. And that means that when I see something, I can think, hmm, that looks good. But the idea of putting it in my mouth, I would have to really work my way back to the food. And as long as I keep working this program and connecting every day to my higher power, I can go anywhere. Someone asked me, how are you going to go to Paris and not eat that food? And my answer was, if I want good French food, and I was living in Los Angeles at the time, I can find any French restaurant. I never go to a French restaurant because I don't care for that food. But if I want it, I find it anyway. I don't have to travel. My higher power travels with me. Thanks for letting me share. Thank you for this wonderful meeting this morning. Thank you, Mary B. Larry, Larry K. <laughs> Thanks, Mel. Uh, Larry K. Recovered Compulsive Reader. Um, I'm going to take the contrarian point of view here. Um, you know, when I'm reminded on page 417 
where it, I'll read it just briefly. It says, and avoidance is the answer to all my problems today. When I am disturbed, it is because I find some person, place, thing, or situation, some fact of my life unacceptable to me, and I can find no serenity until I avoid that person, place, thing, or situation. Until I can avoid my alcoholism, I could not stay sober. You know, that's the thing for me. Here's what my diversionary shield looked like for me. You know, just don't bring it in the house. You know, uh, avoid family parties where binge foods would be served. Avoid, uh, also, I had to avoid any OA meeting where the message wasn't uplifting and motivational. Certainly avoid your, avoid that. Let me tell you what else I avoided. I didn't date because that always resulted in binging. It was purely just a, a cause and effect thing. I also had to work by myself because I had to avoid and shield myself from the crazy coworkers at all costs. Um, I weighed and measured everything at all times because that's what's keeping me sober. After all, it shields me from choice. Um, I don't speak to any friend or family member who may taint me with their negativity and dump, you know, their problems on me. That's what causes me to pick up. You know, um, remember avoidance and control, that's our code. You know, obviously, you know, none of that works for me. Thank God that uh, I had the willingness to see this, this practical program of action all the way through. And by seeing it all the way through, I had a, a, a vital spiritual change, you know, a personality change sufficient to arrest this disease. So all those things that I talked about, I can do today, you know, and, um, and, and, you know, my life didn't get smaller like I thought it would. It got bigger. My life is bigger than it ever was. You know, and I only thought that it was smaller. I couldn't even imagine, like, how in the world, what, what would my life look like without my bin substances? I mean, I'm just going to be like, I'm going to have to live like a hermit. I'm going to have to be locked up. And it's just the opposite. My life has become broad and, and, um, and uh, I'm free. You know, as we hear on this line, how free do you want to be? I can't imagine a more profound freedom than being able to go anywhere, you know, uh, be able to be involved. You know, I missed every high school reunion I ever, uh, that ever occurred, you know, because I was uh, avoiding it. With that, I'll pass. Thanks. Thank you, Larry Kay. Kim G., you're next. Good morning, Melanie. Good morning, all. My name is Kim G., and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. Scheme. Doomed to failure, bigger explosion, impossible, failed. You know, I love this paragraph. I love bringing people here, you know, that were like me to think, okay, I'm, I know I'm back away for the fourth time. I've gained my weight back, but, you know, I need to get comfortable. I need to just sit in the rooms for a little while. I need to get comfortable with my abstinence. I need to get comfortable with the rooms. And let me tell you, if I could do that, I don't need the 12 steps. So I was using OA as a scheme to a certain extent. I remember specifically before OA, um, my mid-20s, deciding I could no longer diet. Could it? Because what dieting meant was gaining weight. Because that is those periods of white-knuckled, I swear to God I'm going to be good, the second I took a slice, a sliver, 
a lick, a taste. The spring back was so incredible that if I lost 10, I would gain 15. If I lost 20, I would gain 30 back. So you know what? The fact of the matter is diets do work if you're not a compulsive overeater. So I have to know who and what I am. The reason it's impossible is because I have the allergy of the body and the obsession of the mind. And let me tell you, before really becoming a student of this big book, how I defined a good year in OA was if I was abstinent more than I was an abstinent. How did I define success? I defined success if I white-knuckled it, did enough tools, kept myself cocooned in this cotton idea of no, you know, turning off commercials if a food came on, changing my route to work so I wouldn't pass my favorite um, food places, not going to parties, isolating in my recovery as much as I isolated in my disease. But if I could go to bed at night with my head on the pillow saying, oh my God, I beat the food one more day, that was the best that I thought I could do. And let me flatly declare that is not what my life is today. Because of these steps, I can go anywhere on this earth a free man. And I had to recognize that human aid was what I was using Overeaters Anonymous for. I was get, staying surviving abstinent for a period of time on fear and the fellowship. 90 and 90, 14 phone calls a day, trying to get the right sponsor, the right food plan. I remember being in a meeting and a girl saying that she's going to be, have 90 days and the way she's doing it is she's staying in a bedroom from midnight to 8 a.m. listening to phone meetings. And I thought to myself, that's not the way I want to live. So I think it's very important here we understand that these schemes are not just what we did before program. What schemes are you working in Overeaters Anonymous? What schemes in a 12-step program are you doing that has nothing to do with the 12 steps? Because once again, you're going to find out they may succeed for a time, but they usually wind up with a bigger explosion than ever. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim G. Amy M., you're next. This is Amy M., a compulsive overeater in Massachusetts. Um, I just have to share on this um, reading from this morning. When I first, um, when I heard it earlier, um, before calling into the meeting, um, I, I took notes of my Tuesday every day because meeting, you know, there are other distractions periodically. So I try to really kind of get into it. And this was a no-brainer, you know, my experience with this paragraph is exactly as others have shared. You know, I tried that. I tried that isolation. And I remember the first time I, you know, quote, unquote, went out abstinently. You know, when I first came into program and I put down the sugar and flour and I was working with a sponsor and working the tools, the steps, and, you know, doing, doing all of the things that have worked for me to uh, stay out of the food and have a clear abstinent mind and experience in life and being present, you know, once I started doing that, I, I lived in a pink bubble and I didn't want to be tainted. I didn't want to go out to eat with friends. I didn't want to go to a bar. Amy M., want to press star eight? So anyway, when I uh, when when I first 
did that leap of faith and went out for the first time, I remember praying, you know, the majority of the God, the majority of the time, please God, you know, I don't want to eat this, I don't want to eat that, I ate my meal, I'm just being present and being with friends. And what a miracle, you know, and, and how amazing that is because as it was said, I didn't want to be locked in a room for days at a time by myself in isolation. And I didn't want this to be a diet. This needed to be my way of life in order to um, continue to uh, abstain from the food that make me crazy, plain and simple. You know, um, I had to do what, what I was, uh, what was suggested to me by following the steps um, and others who have come before me and program. And, you know, uh, those failed attempts in the, in the past, uh, like it's been said, they only last for so long and then the weight would come back more so and, you know, the snowballing effects and just teeter-tottering and going back and forth and back and forth. So for today, I'm so grateful to, to have this meeting and to have this book uh, and tools and people to help, um, help me recover one day at a time. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Amy M. Who else would like to share before we move on? Lassa O. Melissa Leah. Amy G. Melissa C. Okay, I have uh, Rakefet, Vasa O, Melissa C, and Leah M. Let's go with that for right now. And Amy G. Oh, there you go. Okay, gotcha, Amy. Thank you. Thank you. So Rakefet Z, Vasa O, Melissa Leah and Amy G. Thank you. Good morning, Rakefet. Good morning, Melanie, and thank you for your service. My name is Rakefet Z. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from California. And yesterday I shared, when we were reading this similar uh, writing, that I do get food thoughts. I do get food thoughts. I'm recovered, but I still get food thoughts, and I try to avoid places that will make those food thoughts stronger that will kind of ignite those food thoughts so I don't go into donut shops. But um, what I didn't say is that the first thought when I see food I want or I like or I remember I like is, you know, it it smells good, it looks good, I remember it tasting good, I want it. I remembered what it was going to do for me. And my second thought is that food is going to destroy my life. And that's what that's what it'll do to me. That's the truth. That's what it'll do to me. It'll destroy my life if I pick up that food. So I recoil from it like from a hot flame. And and it works. It works. You know, no matter how many food thoughts I get, every time that food will destroy me and I recoil from it like a hot flame. Thank you, God. And a friend of mine says that if you stop answering the phone, it'll stop ringing. You know, every time I get those, that's a food thought. If I continuously go to God, then it'll stop ringing eventually, and it has gotten better. It really has. And um, so I'm really, I'm really happy about that. I feel that it's getting better, that I'm making progress, and that I recoil actually more and more every time I think about picking up that food. And I have to believe, and I do believe, all my heart, I had much, much evidence that it is going to destroy me if I pick it up. So um, thank you for letting me share, and I pass. Thank you, Rekhefa Z. Vasa O. 
Yes, okay. good morning, everyone. Thank you, Melanie, for your service. And I am Vasa, grateful, recover, compulsive reader calling from Massachusetts. And I like this. If the alcoholic tries to shield himself, he may succeed for time, but he, he usually winds up with bigger explosion than ever. And that was what I did during my lifetime before I came to the prom, program. I did so many diets before coming again to the program, and I failed over and over with a bigger explosion than ever trying to control the food. And thank God that I got into the big book and the 12 steps, and uh, and I, I did avoid places at the beginning, you know, going places and doing, or I would go, but I remember stri- struggling with the fears, you know, how am I going to get through going to this party or to this cookout or, you know, so, um, and, but I remember recoil, like from a flame, from those certain things, my allerg- allergy foods, you know. And I'm just so grateful that, uh, you know, with my families at home, I was not bringing stuff, you know, because I used to bake all the time. So I avoided baking or bringing stuff until the sanity starting, started setting in, you know. I said, why should I deprive my family? They don't have my disease. And, you know, it's not fair for me not to do certain things, but I do less of those certain things. And, I, you know, I have the sanity today. That's not my food. That's their food. They, they might not have that problem. I know have, I have the problem. So, yes, we're going to my husband's 50th graduation party October, sometimes in October, and usually it was me that would be saying, oh, no, I don't want to go there. Oh, I don't want to be seen. I'm just overweight. I'm too embarrassed. I'm too ashamed of my body. I wouldn't tell my husband, but those were the feelings I had in my mind. And, you know, when he, when he got the invitation, you know, and I said to him, he said he didn't want to go. I said, oh, yes, we are going. And that's an, and he was surprised, you know. But, you know, like I'm not ashamed anymore. You know, I have a good self-esteem today. And it is by the grace of God, by working the steps and by having a higher power like I have today. And I also feel very con- connected with every one of you on the bridge that I come in the morning even though I don't see you, but I I can hear your voices, so the connection is right there. And I cannot wait to meet all of you when we go to the convention um, in Virginia. So I'm so grateful and grateful to be here with all of you, and I pass. Thank you, Basa O. Melissa C. Hi, good morning. This is Melissa Sear, Recovered Compulsive Overeater in New York. Um, we can't shield the sick man from temptation. Um, this makes me think about the times that I was on a diet and, you know, I carried on that none of my binge foods could enter the house. Um, my family couldn't eat desserts in front of me. They certainly couldn't order in a pizza. Um, and when they did eat those foods, um, I was angry and I was convinced that, um, you know, they were sabotaging me. I was so selfish, you know, in my thinking. Um, you know, and now when a sponsee tells me that they told their family to get all the sugar out of the house, um, and, you know, I kind of, and I do hear this a lot, I, 
I have to lovingly warn them, this is not a reasonable way to work on getting recovered. Um, you know, in the beginning, our recovery is really fragile, um, and we do want to just get a little little abstinence so that we can, you know, really uh, be present to work the steps. But, um, you know, I can't, I can't block the rest of the world from from eating and food. And, you know, and we're told that shielding ourselves as the solution means that I will wind up with a bigger explosion. I always did. Um, you know, this is, this is the diet mentality that I had, that I would diet, I would block off myself from seeing all sorts of foods. I would eat in a way that um, I couldn't sustain, you know, whether it was like shakes or, um, you know, prepared foods. And then I always wound up with a bigger explosion. And, you know, so today um, I have to eat in a way that I can continue to eat for the rest of my life. Um, you know, I went away on vacation um, to Washington uh, with my family, and, you know, they went into all kinds of fast food restaurants. Um, I can go there today. I don't eat those foods. I don't participate in the eating of it. Um, but I can sit with them because my recovery isn't dependent upon what others around me are doing. Um, my recovery is dependent on my connection with my higher power. And if I do the footwork, if I do, you know, make sure that I'm preparing the foods that are safest for me, um, I can go to all kinds of places um, and happily enjoy them, you know, without feeling any um, anger or remorse at watching People eat what once were my binge foods. They simply don't call my name anymore. And, you know, that's just a miracle. That's I, I loved when I heard someone say that, you know, because their higher power was in the movie theater with them. I know my higher power was with me on this um, on this family vacation. And um, thank you. What, what a blessing with that. I'll pass. Thank you, Melissa C. Leah M., you're next. Thanks so much, Mel. In our belief, any scheme of combating alcoholism which proposes to shield the sick man from temptation is doomed to failure. You know, there's this place in the big book, it actually comes from page 51, where, um, you know, it says, setting aside the drink problem, why were we making such a heavy going of life? You know, once I put my binge foods down, it's not me against food anymore combating, you know, me and food. It's me versus me. You know, so, you know, once it was kind of beaten into me that the goal here is much broader than I was thinking. I do not have a physical problem, and I certainly can't solve a a spiritual problem with a physical solution. You know, so it was so important for me to get this, you know, because when I looked back over my shoulder and realized it wasn't just the eating, the way I eat that puzzled me and all the consequences of my eating that bedeviled me. It's the way I felt when I wasn't eating. It's the way I felt when I was food sober, when I was abstinent that was so puzzling to me. <laughs> I was intelligent. I went to good schools. I had a loving husband. You know, setting aside the eating problem, the compulsive overeating, why was I making such a heavy going of life? The big book talks about these bedevilments. They don't even call it alcoholic problems. They call it human problems. I had a rough time living. 
I had a rough time being comfortable in life. And the only way I was going to be comfortable, food sober, abstinent, was if I was going to be relieved of the obsession to pick up that first bite. Restlessness, irritability, discontentment had to be alleviated because otherwise I was going to continue to try to shield myself and then eventually, like you're holding your breath underwater, eventually I would have to gasp for air and medicate. And how do I medicate? I medicate by driving my fist down bags and boxes. The 12 steps were written to relieve me of this obsession of the mind, to restore me to sanity, to bring me soundness of mind, because this is not about not eating. This is about living without having to compulsively overeat. And after going through these steps, applying these steps, I had ceased fighting. Sanity had returned. There was no interest in food. In fact, I recoiled. I was reacting sanely and normally, and this happened automatically because I was safe and protected. I had been placed in a position of neutrality, not through any personal success, but through cooperating with God's grace. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thanks, Leah M. Amy G. Good morning, Mal. My name is Amy. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from Maryland. Thank you for your service, and thank you for everyone who has shared. Um, these attempts to do the impossible have always failed. You know, let's remember, what chapter are we in? Working with others. And when I take on a new sponsee, whether they've been in the program for a while and been slipping, or whether they're brand new. You know, we review their eating histories. We review their recent eating histories. If they've been in OA for a while, we just go through their whole history. Why do we do that? Why do I do that? Because I've been taught by my sponsor that it's important, and this big book teaches me, is to, re- is to reinforce the idea of personal powerlessness. These attempts, I don't know about you all, but the attempts that I used were all external controls. And like Leah was saying, anywhere you go, you take yourself with you. The problem was not the food. The problem was me, myself, and I. I mean, if we go to the doctor's opinion, it says, why do people eat? Because they are restless, irritable, and discontent. And until they can again sense the ease and comfort, until I could again sense the ease and comfort by taking that bite, you know? So what happened when I used to diet? You know, I was just more restless. I was, I was stark, raving abstinence because I still had me. I was more restless, irritable, and discontent. So what am I reinforcing to to the sponsee, the idea of personal powerlessness, because the disease is not about the eating. The disease is about the mental obsession. The disease is about the fact that my mind is so warped. When it comes to eating, I don't think sanely. And at some point in time, no matter what food, food plan I'm on, what diet I'm on, some insane reason, maybe none at all, will come and I will find myself back in the food. And again and again, when we review the eating histories, we see it. And I say to the sponsee, how'd that work for you? How'd that work for you? And every time, it was a big fat zero. You know, the result was nil until we let go absolutely. We had to let go of our old ideas. And every time I review this again and again, because I know my sponsor did it with me, she would say, Amy, how did that work for you? becoming a, uh, you know, an exchange student, taking a geographical cure and going to a whole other country and a whole other culture thinking that would do it. Well, I came back 50 pounds heavier and a drug addict. Well, gee, how did that work taking amphetamines? I became addicted to amphetamines. How about being a bulimic? How did that work for you? 
every external control reinforced the fact that I had failed on my own and of myself I could not beat this disease. But by the grace of God and you all who have gone before and the instructions in this good book, I have found a way that takes me away from me and lets me rely on a power greater than myself. That's what I needed, a power greater than myself. It had nothing to do with the perfect diet or hiding from particular foods. But I will say in early recovery, and I'll just wrap up by saying that there were places that I couldn't go in early because I wasn't recovered. I was still working the steps. And to tempt myself that way would not have been a good thing. And I worked closely with the sponsor until I did feel ready. And we're going to talk about that in the next couple of paragraphs. The questions we ask ourselves, is there a good reason to go? How is your spiritual condition if you're to go to these various situations? I think about it. I think about it now. And I work with the sponsor now about deciding when and if and how and if these are the right places to go. But as we become recovered, if we have a good reason for going, there's no reason we can't go anywhere and feel free where the food does not even call. We are free, truly free. I am free today by the grace of this program. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Amy G. If a couple more would like to share on this paragraph, that would take us to the end of the meeting. This is Janet. This is Du. Anita J. Du-L. Ronnie P. I hear- I hear Janice M, and I hear Do L, and I hear Anita J, and I did hear Ronnie, but I don't think we'll be able to get to you, and and probably not to Anita J either, and I hear you, Deanna. Looks like we're going to probably get to Janice and Do L, and possibly Anita J. So let's go with you, Janice. Good morning. Well, good morning to you, and good morning to everyone. My name is Janice M, and I am a grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater from Massachusetts. Yeah, any scheme, any scheme. What's a scheme? A scheme is a theory. It's a plan. It's a way to, okay? So the schemes that I used many years ago, and like was said before, that, you know, I hear meetings make it. Well, I went to meetings, many meetings, and it didn't make it for me. Um, They used to say service is slimming. Service is slimming. Imagine service is slimming. And, you know, all these schemes, the geographical cures, the, the tools of the fellowship are wonderful. I mean, you know, they, they, support, they supported me, but they did not take away the obsession from my mind. Those plans did not work for me, for me. Because, first of all, to shield myself seems to me that I was in charge. I had the power. And we know today we could put down the food, but I couldn't stay stopped. That was the real problem because of the obsession. So these meetings didn't do that. You know, I mean, they, were, they just didn't help me. The real scheme, the real plan of recovery worked for me, which is the 12 steps. See, because of the spiritual problem, like we, like it's, like uh, was already mentioned, physical doesn't understand spiritual. See, it just, it just can't. And this plan of recovery is spiritual to help me find the power, so that I don't have to for one day. Then that removes the obsession that helps me to stay stopped. And um, that's the plan I use today. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Janice M. Do L, you're next. Good morning, Melanie. Thank you for your service. This is Do L, Recover Compulsive Overeater. And I love the contrast that they give here. Um, 
what is a recovered person versus someone that has an alcoholic mind. And it's, it's telling me right here, you know, that it's, it's very easy to identify. If I'm still being tempted and I'm still trying to shield myself, as so many eloquently shared, um, then I do have an alcoholic mind, you know, because according to the big book and according to what we're reading here, if I am spiritually fit, then I could go all sorts of different places and it won't affect me. As a matter of fact, in step five, it says that, you know, the feeling of the drink problem has disappeared, will often come strongly. So if I am doing this work according to how it's outlined, already by step five, that strong feeling of the mental obsession should be disappearing. And then in step 10, it talks about the fact that, um, you know, if we're tempted, we recoil from it from a hot flame, and, you know, we're placed in a, in a, in a position of neutrality and safe and protected. As a matter of fact, um, it does not exist for us. The problem has been removed. That is to be recovered. And what is to be recovered? That I am not triggering the allergy of the body and the obsession of the mind. I am not triggering myself by putting in binge foods into my body um, that causes me the phenomena of craving. And then the mental thoughts have disappeared, have gone away, have been removed. Have I done that? No. God has done it for me. But I do it according to these steps. And the steps will give me that spiritual awakening will give me that clarity of mind, will give me the expulsion of, of the obsession of the mind, you know. And so if I'm here and I'm thinking, well, you know, I go to a meeting and I hear the word donut um, and I'm going to get all freaked out about it because, you know, I, I feel like I'm going to go binge, then that already clearly states to me that I have an alcoholic mind, that I have that mindset that I need to keep working at these steps to get that spiritual awakening because this book guarantees, this book guarantees that spiritual awakening. If I take the steps in order, if I do exactly, precisely what this book has to offer, and it has been the experience of so many that they don't have to be in those positions today. And they don't have that temptation anymore. And I'm so grateful that, you know, I get to see the comparison because it's really important to see the comparison so that we know exactly where we're at in our recovery. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Du L. And that brings us to the end of our meeting. And I'll just thank Anita J. and Deanna B. for offering to share as well. And we'll look forward to listening to you share in the next hour, which is just coming up in a few minutes here. But in the meantime, it is time to close our meeting, and we close it with saying the reading from the big book on page 164. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. And Deanna B., would you read that for us, please? Thank you, Melanie, and thank you for your service. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask God in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit thing, uh, something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass 
for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God if you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. And I pass.